The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. If you guys have offered a prayer of confession this morning for your sins, God is just and faithful to forgive you. So if you've done that, you are now just as close as you were before your sin. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you that you sent your son to die on our behalf, that we would be able to be right in your standing. God, we pray that you would help us to just have thankful hearts and great joy in what Jesus has done for us. That we can be close to you. That we can be in relationship with you. Lord, I ask that you would help remind us to come back to you when we find ourselves far away. And that that was what Israel had to do. They just had to keep going back to you. And we want to be those people that keep going back to you, Lord. Protect us and guide us, God. Guard our hearts. That we could honor and glorify you. We thank you for forgiveness this morning. And we ask that you would be with us. In your name, amen. I'm not used to using this table. It's kind of tall. It's kind of weird. Sorry about that, guys. I'm, I'm really, I like, I'm kind of one of those people that likes to have things a certain way. I can admit that with you guys. We can all live in the light together, right? All right. Here's our intro this morning. Lord, teach us to pray. This request from Jesus' disciples not only reveals their personal desire, but offers a lasting impression of Jesus' life and ministry. Jesus' life, the perfect life, was a praying life. The intimacy and understanding between Jesus and the Father is available to every person who desires to know. And Daniel said last week that we're going to try to say this every single week, but prayer is literally communication with God for those that know they need him. And we find ourselves a little over a month in our sermon series talking to God a history of prayer. And what we've been doing is walking mostly chronologically through the Bible if you remember, like our stories were starting in Genesis and we were working our way through. And then a couple weeks ago, we kind of jumped forward and we went to 1 Samuel where we talked about Hannah and her desire for a son. You remember how Eli had thought she was drunk? But it turns out, no, it was just the cries of her heart. And then we then jumped back to Exodus in Exodus 33 and we saw this interaction between God and Moses, right? where God had revealed himself from a burning bush to Moses. And that, in communication in itself, is pretty wild, right? But this morning, what we're going to look at is we're going to look at Joshua, the character of Joshua from the book of Joshua, chapter 10, 
specifically. And for context, Joshua should not be new to anyone here. Because for many, many weeks, we were in a sermon series just about a little over a year ago where it was called Joshua, Enter the Promise. And we like to stand by guys like Joshua because what we see in Joshua is a leader in all of Scripture that we surprisingly do not see go against God in his lifestyle. A true leader, a leader's leader of men, and in some ways a type of Jesus in the Old Testament. And what do we know specifically about Joshua? Well, we'd only have to go back to last week where we saw Moses conferring with God in the tent. And there was a cloud in front of the tent as he was meeting with God. And who was in there with him? Joshua, his second in command. So Joshua had the same access to God that Moses had to God. And so Joshua was allowed to stay in the tent. That's a pretty cool place to be, right? And if we look a little further in Joshua chapter 1, when Joshua is appointed as the new leader because Moses has passed away, God says to Joshua, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. That's a pretty cool promise, right? But what we find when we open up to chapter 10 is kind of this story of turmoil. The northern countries have been taken over by Israel. Joshua had led the Israelites into the land and they were taking over that territory. And Israel is backed by God. But at the same time, the southern countries were still very much so inhabited by the people and rulers of Canaan. And what was caught in the middle of this epic land divide? Gibeon. Gibeon is distinct in that they do not have a monarchy. They are much different than the surrounding areas because there is not one single set ruler over them. And we learn a lot about Gibeon in Joshua chapter 9 if we only go one chapter earlier than where we're going to focus today because Gibeon comes to Israel, the people that are led by Joshua, governed by God. This God that we have come to know just last week is this I am that I am. This God of the universe who is a great God that has been writing this story since the beginning of time. And Gibeon is a clever people. Because instead of going in honesty and explaining their situation due to their own fear, they develop this scheme of all schemes and they pretend to be someone they're not in order to win the affections of Joshua and the God of Joshua, the God of Israel. And how did they pull off that scheme? The people of Gibeon put on tattered clothing. Okay, so they went to their wardrobe and they found their not-so-nicest wear. They put together old wineskins and they brought the moldiest food they could find. And then the Gibeonites tell Joshua they're a tribe that has been traveling for a very long time because their leaders told them to go make a treaty with Israel because of the fear of the God of Israel and the fear of what was taking place because I and Jericho had already been destroyed. Those were two other northern kingdoms and they didn't want this to be their fate. So this was an attempt to escape that fate, right? And so Joshua, believing that they seemed to be true to who they were, and without conferring with God, so he did not talk to God after they 
talked with him. They made the covenant immediately. God, so uh, Israel joins in this treaty with Gibeon. And this promise is seen as just Gibeon becoming a part of Israel and that they would have the protection Israel has and they would be backed by God. So not more than three days later, Joshua finds out that it's all a sham and that the people of Gibeon were in fact a neighboring group, another group of Canaanites that God would want to wipe from the land because they were his enemies. But in God's great mercy, the punishment that Gibeon receives for their deceit is that they get to become water drawers and woodcutters in the house of God. So even being a servant is a success, right? Because they ultimately get to be where they wanted to be. And that's a part of God's plan. So the surrounding cities see this pact as a threat and see Gibeon as disloyal to Canaan, decide that they are going to need to take action. So King Adonizedek of Jerusalem goes and makes an appeal to the neighboring cities of Canaan to go to war against Gibeon. And something I want to point out at this point in history there was no way that they would have known that Gibeon had Israel's protection or God protecting them. They know that they're in a treaty. They would have no idea that if they were to come and attack Gibeon, they would be essentially attacking Israel. So what they were about to come into was going to be a great surprise to them. So why didn't these Canaanites attack Israel and Joshua? And that is a good question. But as scripture tells us that the fear of Israel and the God of Israel had melted their heart and put them in a great fear. So that's why. Because Rahab, when she was talking to the spies and they were talking to her and she was saying, we've seen what your God does. We know what he's done in the land. And our hearts have melted in fear and everyone's courage has failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below and so because they knew of the renown of this God of Israel, this great and glorious God who does as he pleases, and Joshua had conquered the northern kingdoms, they were afraid to come up against Israel and Joshua. So they decide to attack Gibeon. It's like they were going to pick off the little brother. Does that make sense? And that's where we find ourselves in the story. But before we jump into scripture this morning, I was trying hard to recall to mind some ideas that would help illustrate kind of some of what was taking place and specifically talking about prayer. And, and what came to mind, I remember being just 20 years old and attending my grandfather in New York's funeral. This was one of the first times Susanna had met my mom's side of the family. Classy invitation, right? So my grandfather was a really cool man. Like he loved that I loved Jesus. And we could talk about those things. But here at his funeral... This wasn't him talking with me. This is us kind of at the end of the story for him. And here at his funeral, they were recounting all of his accolades. He had played football for the Air Force. He sacked Hall of Fame quarterback Bart Starr when Bart Starr was the quarterback of the Army. If you guys remember, Bart Starr had a long career with the Green Bay Packers, won Super Bowls. A man who had served in the Air Force for 20 years, the local fire department, and even fought in the Vietnam War. They had a beautiful service and even sang Ave Maria. So they might have been Catholic. I have no idea because we just didn't talk about those things. So I kind of always felt that that was a little out of place. But, you know, we don't 
a lot of times we, we kind of, we love our families, right? So, uh, but as my mother and I, we walk up to his urn, she bent down and she said, Jacob, can you say a prayer for grandpa? And I be young in my faith and I see everything is black and white. I say to my mom, why? His deeds are done. His path has been determined. He's either in heaven or hell. A prayer is not going to change that outcome, mom. Guys, here's a woman coming to me, seeing my relationship with God, and she's looking for guidance. And I said to her, his life's over. Everything that's happened has happened. The prayer isn't going to change that. I said, prayers won't make a difference, Mom. His fate is sealed. And I think that's funny now, and it's cruel. It's very cruel, okay? Like, I'm begging you to remain my friend after this service. Because I will not respond to you if you ask me to pray for your family that the deed of who, whoever died is done, okay? I won't do that to you. But I think it's funny because that's where I was in my life. And don't we all have stories that are similar to that? Don't we all have friends that don't understand this God thing that come to us in their times of deepest concern and need and they look for our response? Maybe this one doesn't relate to you, but what about when someone says, hey, Joe Berg, my aunt has cancer and I was wondering if you could pray for her. And we might respond, well, let's pray right now, in which the response might be, well, oh no, I don't, I don't want to pray with you. I would just rather have you pray for me. That would be great. We've all been there. We've all been in that situation. The kids at the center do it all the time. They'll come in to me and they'll say, hey, Jake, can you pray for my grandma? She's really sick. And I'll say, well, why don't we pray for your grandma right now? And they'll go, no, no, I'm good. You don't have to do that. But I think we see something similar here, right? And I'll, and I'll share that with you. I think the big idea this morning is for us, if we remain calm and listen, God will show his plan. And if we recognize his plan, we're invited to join on it. But that story kind of starts our story. Because as we see Gibeon in scripture, we're going to see something very different that they do, given the promise that was made to them. And I'm going to share that as we go further. So Joshua 10, 1 through 15, let's read this together. Now Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard that Joshua had taken Ai and totally destroyed it, going to Ai and its king as he had done to Jericho and its king, and that the people of Gibeon had made a treaty of peace with Israel and had become their allies. He and his people were very much alarmed at this because Gibeon was an important city, like one of the royal cities. There's important information here that you guys just want to kind of tuck away, okay? It was larger than I, and all its men were good fighters. So Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, appealed to Hoham, king of Hebron, Piram, king of Jarmuth, Japhia, king of Lachish, and Debir, king of Eglon. Come up and help me attack Gibeon, he said, because it, was made, it has made peace with Joshua and the Israelites. So then the five kings of the Amorites, the kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lachish, and Eglon joined forces. They moved up with all their troops and took up positions against Gibeon and attacked it. The Gibeonites then sent word to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal, Do not abandon your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us. 
Help us, because of the Amorite kings from the hill country, have joined forces against us. So Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army, including all the best fighting men. The Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. And after all night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel, so Joshua and the Israelites defeated them completely at Gibeon. Israel pursued them along the road, going up to Beth Horon, and cut them down all the way to Azekah and Makeda. As they fled before Israel on the road down from Beth Horon to Azekah, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them, and more of them died from the hail that were killed by the swords of the Israelites. Pretty exciting scene, right? On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, Sun, stand still over Gibeon, and you moon over the valley of Agilon. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemies as written in the book of Jasher. And the book of Jasher is a book of poems, okay? Don't get confused by that. It is not in your Bible, and that is okay. We don't have to be concerned with that. That is a victory Song they probably sung in houses of great kings. So we, we know that now, so we don't have to get hung up. It's okay that you can't find Jasher 1-1 because it doesn't exist. I don't know if it exists, okay? So the sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. There has never been a day like it before or since, a day when the Lord listened to a human being. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. Then Joshua returned with all Israel to the camp at Gilgal, which is mentioned again in verse 43 at the end of the chapter. So obviously there was some other stuff that ends up happening after this story, which I encourage you to read because it really just pulls together how amazing God's plan is. So with Adonai Zedek, we see the conjuring of war with the southern empires, and they are coming up from the south to attack Gibeon. We have five kingdoms against one because they realize how big Gibeon is and that they are a house of great fighters. But Gibeon cries out. But what is interesting in this story is that they do not cry out to God. They cry out to Joshua. And why is that? because of our first point this morning, and that is going to God is hard. I think it's incredible what we see from Gibeon here. Why? Because like my grandfather, there were plenty of things that would give Gibeon the ability to boast. We read about them already. Gibeon is a big city. They are like a royal city. They're bigger than I. So I was conquered. They're bigger than I, okay? They were great in size, and they had many great fighting men. So we may wonder off the bat, what exactly were they afraid of? With Gibeon being so great and mighty, having access to God through the promise that they made, why did Gibeon not go to God, but instead go to Joshua? And there might have been several reasons. But I believe similar to the reason that we talked about a little earlier, I believe Gibeon sees God on Joshua and knowing that they, what they know about him and the success that he has had in the northern kingdoms, they see it almost like Joshua is this middleman, a mediator. Rather than go directly to God like we try to advise our friends do, to do, they go to Joshua. And God is with Joshua, so surely God is going to help Joshua 
Joshua because God hears Joshua's prayers. So between, or maybe another thought I had as I was looking through this was perhaps Gideon didn't know how to pray. Between the deception of Gideon and the present story that we read, we don't see a lot of time where they were teaching them about the laws of God and how to obey God. We don't get to see that in Scripture because it's just not available to us. We could think that the same prayer that Jesus instructs his disciples in the New Testament to say might have been the same prayer they needed to have, which is our Father who art in heaven. But we don't see that either. They do not cry out to God. They cry out for Joshua. And isn't that the way that many of our non-believing friends are? Or even some of our friends in the faith? I mean, if I was honest, aren't we like that? I do that. If I'm honest, I blow up Daniel Frederick's phone or Dave's phone in the past or any other mature brother and I'll riddle them with questions. Or I might self-process rather than go to God directly by spewing out all my thoughts. I do pray a lot, but often I go to others in faith because it seems easier sometimes. Like, I'm curious why it made more sense for Gibeon to cry out to Joshua, who is 26 miles away downhill in Gilgal, rather than seeing God where they were at right there, asking him to protect and guard them. It's because they saw God on Joshua. Maybe they felt they couldn't. Maybe they felt that if they were to come before God, they have a scheme they have to make up for and talk about. We don't know that. Maybe they didn't think they were worthy. Maybe because they weren't a part of the original plan, they didn't think they had the same access to the Father. I was thinking about how a lot of times when we go to pray, we will hide ourselves or create schemes to keep us at a distance from God? How many times when we pray do we avoid that one thing that is so hard for us to talk about because we're afraid that if we do, that God is going to respond the same way that I responded to my mom. Well, the deed is done, so it doesn't matter. It's set for you. But what we see and what it reminded me of was kind of like how in the New Testament, people would go to Jesus. And when they went to him, they would always assume kind of right this down, like, like what's going to happen? But Jesus was very different than how I was with my mother because Jesus, every single time, welcomed them to come closer to receive the grace that only he could offer them. So the reality is I probably blew it with my mom. Because she was looking at me as a mediator between her and God. And rather than drawing her closer to the grace that he offers, I left her in a field against the empires in her life. So Gibeon is in quite the predicament. We got five kingdoms coming at us. What do we do? We don't know how to pray. We don't know if we have access to the Father. But man, we know Joshua does. So we're going to cry out to Joshua. So the Gibeonites then sent word to Joshua at the camp at Gilgal, do not abandon your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us. Help us because all the Amorite kings from the hill country have joined forces against us. Save us, Joshua. And the next thing that we see is remarkable. It says, do not be afraid. In verse 8, but I, but I took this as a real kind of slow down and be calm and listen moment. Because when somebody says, do not be afraid, what are they doing? They're calming your fears. They're saying, calm down. 
And I think about like in relationship with the youth that I serve, when something dramatic happens, instead of coming in and just being like, oh my gosh, what happened? A lot of times I'm going, what happened? Sit down, tell me about it. What's going on in your life, right? But here, look at this. So look at verse seven. So Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army. By the way, the second point is be calm and listen. I'm sorry, I didn't say that before. Including all the best fighting men. The, God, the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. And in verse seven, Joshua is already fulfilling the promise. That's what he's doing. So that's why he's marching because he's got a promise to uphold. So he's already doing at very least the duty that he's been called to. So Joshua has made a promise to the people of Gibeon to protect them and he's answering their cry for help. But there's something that should stand out when we get to verse 8. We see no evidence that Joshua cries out to God or Joshua isn't on his knees praying or he hasn't gone to be alone to seek God. We see Joshua just marching with his men. And God actually initiates the conversation with Joshua. And at this point in time, before that's happened, if you think about it, there were kind of a lot of things that Joshua could have done or could have been played out different. And I'm going to share them with you. Joshua could have turned his back. Think about it. If you were in Joshua's shoes, you're being called on to help someone who has tricked you. Don't we do that in life when people trick us? We don't feel as loyal to them. The last thing I personally ever want to do is help someone who has pulled one over on me. Isn't that right? Think about the people that have come up to you and said, hey, can I borrow $20? And then they never paid it back. And then they come back to you a week later and they say, hey, can I borrow $20? You're probably not going to pay them the $20 or loan it out to them because they've duped you. It would be easy for me if I were in Joshua's shoes to think, well, maybe the Canaanites, even though we got a problem, maybe they'll just wipe each other out, right? And we can sit there with popcorn as if it was a Jerry Springer episode right? And watch them fight each other off and destroy each other in their ignorance. Or maybe Joshua might be thinking of the potential of losing any of his actual Israelites in the process of defending these people who are not originally their people. But that is not what we see. We see Joshua heading towards Gibeon with his men. I think it's amazing how God, even though Gibeon cries out to Joshua, hears and responds to the need of Gibeon, God sees Gibeon and the promise made between Gibeon and Israel, and he keeps to it. Isn't it interesting in the passage how God initiates the conversation with Joshua? The Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. So here's Joshua, right? He's journeying, and God's speaking to him. And he was more than likely afraid because you're one kingdom coming uphill, which will probably gas you. And you're about to go against five kingdoms that are ready to fight you. Not you, but Gibeon. Or what he might find when they get there. Has God ever talked to you like that? I have to admit that I'm not used to hearing the voice of God before I've initiated conversation with him. But God has definitely said some important things in this particular statement to Joshua. But at the same time, he hasn't given him a lot of detailed explanation. Without the details of the who, what, why, where, how, a lot of us would become very nervous 
We wouldn't like that. We're people of control or habit. We like things to be a certain way. I was talking to you about it when I came up here earlier. I like to use a music stand. This is a table. This makes me completely uncomfortable. It's probably adding to my perspiration, honestly. But that's how we are. We don't like the unpredictability of not knowing what's going on or what's going to happen. I hate surprises. Ask Susanna. I want to know what I'm getting for Christmas in September. Okay? So yeah, here's God. Do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. It's as if God is saying, be calm and listen. Do as I say, and it's going to work out for you. We face these tasks in hopelessness. We see impossibilities with the stuff that's stacked against us, those empires that we were talking about. Do any of these ring a bell to you? I can't pay my mortgage. Don't really know how anyone that's at this party is going to know me or be related to me. I'm not sure I want to go. I can't quite make it to work on time. I'm afraid to talk on the phone because I have a phone phobia. My friend's parent or relative just passed away and I'm not sure what I'm going to say to them. I'm just not prepared. I know what you're asking me to do, but I don't know how to do it. That person doesn't like me. They deleted me on social media. That hurts, okay? Anybody that says, oh, I don't care. I mean, I just, I don't believe that. It hurts. It hurts when you notice somebody in your, you might know section that you were like, I could have swore I was that person's friend. <laughs> Rent is three weeks overdue. What if people see who I really am? What if I go and I am the biggest failure I've ever been? What if I am a failure? Maybe I am a failure. I am a failure. Could you just imagine what it would be like if God showed up in those moments and then he said, do not be afraid. Calm down and listen. Or maybe be calm, listen. Right now that's Joshua. And I think we see as hopeless things God can use to restore our trust and our ability when we go to him to be calm and listen. He uses some of the weirdest things sometimes and they're vague sometimes. And it reminded me of this other vague story. I was reminded of another story in the Old Testament that seemed kind of weird. And it was with this woman who was behind on her bills. And her debtors were coming to take her two sons and throw them into slavery. And they didn't have much, so they seek out this prophet Elisha. Because why? Just like Joshua. He knows God. He'll know what to do. And Elisha asked them to bring what they have. And she responds, she doesn't have much, but she has a jar of oil. So he says, go and get as many jars as you can, and we're going to fill them. And at that point, she could have looked at him and been like, you're a weirdo, bro. Like... What is oil going to do for us right now? My kids are getting taken away. Right? Because that's vague. Go get the oil and go get the jar. And we're going to do something. But God shows up in that moment because she listens and does what he says. It's incredible. But it was vague. It wasn't enough a ton of detail. But we have oil and we got jars. So here's Joshua. Similarly, he's not going to be afraid and he's believing God was going to do something. God didn't give him the details. He only knows not to be afraid and that they're going to be given into his hands. Doesn't say how, doesn't say what it's going to look like, doesn't give the specific directions, doesn't give explanations. We're here as people nervous because we don't like that. Do not, be, do not fear, be calm and listen. And this leads us to our third point. Joshua has left his place of fear. He is now obeying. The unthinkable is about to happen. The third point is God shows up. And this is absolutely incredible. 
Joshua listens to God, and as he obeys the command that God has given him, God shows up. God shows up in a way that we would never have been able to comprehend. Some historians have really tried hard to like speak it away or talk it away or say, it might not have been an actual hailstorm that happened because we don't know of giant hail balls like that coming down. But, you know, we have no other reason to believe that what it said happened happened because we've seen bigger things and wilder things in Scripture. We've seen partings of seas. So there's no reason we can't believe that this is exactly what happened. And we have been blown away by what happens next. Look at verse 9 through 11. After an all-night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel. So Joshua and the Israelites defeated them completely at Gibeon. Israel pursued them along the road, going up to Beth Horon, and cut them down all the way to Ezekah and Machida. As they fled before Israel on the road down from Beth Horon to Ezekah, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them, and more of them died from the hail than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. So God shows up in this incredible way. There weren't extra commands. Joshua didn't have extra commands when he got there. Joshua had listened to the words of God and had put his fear aside. He journeyed the distance from Gilgal to Gibeon, and now God is actually doing a mighty work on his behalf. God first throws them into confusion, which that word confusion is just another word for panic or terror. The enemy was scared with great uncontrollable fear. And actually the kings that were leading these soldiers had ran off to hide in caves, the caves of Machida. They went and they ran and they hid themselves because of what was taking place. Their soldiers are retreating and running. But Israel is just slaying them and and, the, and these large hail balls are just falling from the sky. So God creates this huge hailstorm where the hail balls are taking out the enemy and they're retreating. Israel is chasing the enemy and the enemy has nowhere to hide from them. And quickly the enemy is trying to descend. And at this time, between Beth Horon, the upper and lower part, there's this rocky kind of craggy area where like they would have to like run the descent down. And so they're literally running down a hillside that has tiny cuts in rocks so that they can keep their feet from stumbling, right? So they already got an obstacle course ahead of them. And God is just hurling down these massive hail balls, wiping them out. Isn't that incredible? So while the enemy is descending down this rocky path, they're literally being pelted. And of that day, it is said that more enemies died because of the hailstorms than were ever touched by an Israelite sword. That's incredible. God is doing above and beyond what he could have imagined. Don't you think... Like, how would you have felt if you were told to go and defend Gibeon and you get there and then God's doing all the massive work? You're going you're gonna to be standing there like, this is amazing. <laughs> like, I think you're going to just be like, this has got to continue, right? Joshua was a general, so he probably had 50 million ways in his tool belt of how they were going to destroy these five kingdoms. But when he shows up, he doesn't have to open his map, you know, the details we like. He didn't have to do any of that because God is doing the work. Blows our comprehension. We wouldn't be ready for that. And I don't want to make light of the situation or make it sound like one of those, you know, you only got to have faith sermons. Because, like, if you have faith and faith enough, this stuff will happen. You know, because I know that less than exciting things happen for, for us because of our faith sometimes. But when we truly hear God and obey his words, God will show us his plan and sometimes we're shocked at what's going to happen next. 
God does not remain silent when we pursue him. And we do what he tells us to do. Do you think Joshua knew that those gigantic hail balls were a part of the plan? That that was God's chosen instrument to take out the enemy? I don't. It reminds me of another story where God shows up in a way that is beyond our comprehension and it deals with Jesus. Jesus had gone to be with a crowd of people and the crowd of people were around him, right? There were so many of them and it was getting late and the disciples had realized that they didn't have food. And so the disciples say, we got to send them home to go get something to eat. And Jesus says, well, what do we have? At that moment, that disciple was probably like, we got two fish and five loaves of bread. Right? And Jesus said, well, bring it to me. There wasn't like this long conversation. Well, you see, Lord, it just wasn't enough, you know. Or, Lord, I don't really want to carry the fish because it smells bad and I hate fish anyways. And There wasn't anything like that. He just brought him the fish and the bread. And Jesus is just breaking these pieces and he's handing it out. And he fed 5,000 people plus women and children. God showed up in a great way. Like, that, that's incredible, right? And then as I was thinking about it, like, we would probably think Joshua was unprepared. We'd probably think the disciples were unprepared. And then I was thinking, um, what's a modern example of this? In 1997, a family felt called to create a ministry to the homeless and at-risk youth in this very county. They had a very tiny room, a pool table, and a struggling coffee shop. They had taken over a failing business. However, a very sprightly 40-something-year-old man, believing he had heard from God, took some flyers to a local area where teens congregated smoking cigarettes to tell them about this new place, the Coffee Oasis. How weird it must have been for a man in their 40s approaching what probably seemed like wild animals. And yes, I said wild animals. Because I'm sure when you go up to kids and you're like, hey, I want to tell you about something. They're kind of like animals, you know? You don't walk up to like a beaver or something, it'll like freak out on you. Like you, you walk up and they're, eh, eh, you know? Like there is that weird feeling there, right? Because why would they listen to a person that was two times their age? <laughs> but God told this man to do this. And so he remained calm and listened. And guess what happened next? This is incredible. A group of teens show up for the first late night that this organization throws them. And then that group tells their friends, who tell their friends, who tell their friends, who tell their friends. And suddenly there's hundreds of youth that are being loved on, non-believing youth who are being cared for and loved on in the name of Jesus Christ. Because one man was calm and listened. And I bet you a little room with a pool table and a struggling coffee business is the less like likely place that you would see becoming a safe place or an oasis for teens because one man just calm and listened to what God was saying and God showed up because of it. God has a funny way of showing up when we listen. If you ask the founder of the organization, he'd probably tell you how hard it was, but he'd also tell you how great God was in executing his plan. Here's Joshua. He is listening. God is about to show up in Gibeon. And oh, how he will show up, striking fear in the very heart of his enemies and then doing away with them by a magnificent hailstorm. Looking for a little more clarity, I was reading a book about it. And one author I read had said that God was true to his promise that not one of the Israelites was harmed during this interaction. Not even one of his men and if you remember, do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. Incredible, right? So God shows up. And that leads us to the last point. God gives us an opportunity to join him 
and what he's doing. Look at verses 12 through 14. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, Sun, stand still over Gibeon, and you, moon, over the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped, till the nation avenged itself on its enemies, as it is written in the book of Jasher. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. So what we're talking about here is 14 hours of the Mideastern day plus another 14 hours. That's like 28 hours of sunlight. Incredible, right? Supernatural. There's never been a day like it before since a day when the Lord listened to a human being. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. When conferring with a brother, he told me to truly look at what was taking place. And what he told me was, it's a, if, it, if you look at it correctly, it's a prayer of participation. And Joshua has seen what the Lord is doing. He had arrived at Gibeon and God was destroying the five kingdoms that had come against them. God was really, literally showing out, as some teens would probably say. And he was doing all the work. But Joshua, in great confidence, prays an incredible prayer. Sun stands still over Gibeon, and you moon over the valley of Agilon. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped, till the nation avenged itself on its enemies, as it is written in the book of Jasher. He had caught what God was doing and was praying that it was going to continue until all the enemies of God had been wiped out. A note that I would like to add, this is so incredible and funny, because it kind of shows you kind of how God is. If you guys have never thought, man, God has an edge, God has an edge sometimes. Like, it's kind of cool. I really want you to hear this. So a note I would like to add is that the sun and the moon were two things that these people would have worshipped. And so, however, here is Joshua commanding the sun and moon to give them light that the enemies of God would be wiped out. God not only shows up in a very improbable way, but he uses the deities of this group of people to wipe them out. God's awesome display of power was showing Canaan that he was not only the real God, but that he had power over all the false gods they served because he was using their gods against them to do his bidding. And Joshua is along for the ride so much that he prays that it continues. How much easier is it for us to join in the plan that God has created when we allow him to reveal that to us? Takes a lot of work off our hands, doesn't it? Joshua didn't care that he wasn't the one who put them to death with a sword. He was concerned that God was going to get the glory. He didn't want the glory. He wanted to help expose God's glory. God honored that, and he honored Joshua and Gibeon in battle. And if you look at verse 14, just look what it says. It says, because you see just how God thinks about Joshua. It says, there has never been a day like it before or since, a day when the Lord listened to a human being. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. Never before and never after. We can't imagine what it would be like for us to pray as Joshua prayed because the thought of praying like that would be so intense. For a similar story of how someone had prayed that something this crazy and supernatural happened, I looked in James 5.17 and saw Elijah was a human being even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Do we pray like that? It's incredible. He understood the power of God. How incredible would it be for someone someday to say when you prayed that it had such an incredible impact on the world around you, that there has never been a time before or after that God has heeded the words that they heard someone pray. Joshua, the one who did not fear, the one who kept calm and listened, saw God show up, and when God showed up, he joined in. God invited Joshua to this grand scene, and he partook of it, and that is absolutely amazing. 
So today we have seen that going to God can be hard. We've seen a lot of times people come to believers or call on others because they don't know where to begin. So we can show these people the true God that already has a plan by listening and responding as he would listen and respond. Second, we saw that to really hear God, we need to be calm and listen. Third, when we have been calm and have listened, God shows up. Sometimes he shows up in ways that we could never comprehend. But when he does show up, we can feel free to join him. So what do we do with this information? One, we go to God and we show others how to go to God. We don't have to be Joshua. We have Jesus. Jesus is our Joshua. Jesus is literally the flesh of God, the tent that Joshua had to enter to have relation with God. Jesus fulfilled that in his bodily form. We have Jesus. Jesus is our conqueror. He's already won. We are called to join him. So when we have the opportunity, we need to show people Jesus by listening to the cries of their heart. The Gibeon crying out, save me, help me. And instead of closing the door like I did with my mom, show them the response that often we don't believe is possible. Because how much greater it is when someone experiences the compassion and grace of our Father because we took time to listen to them like Jesus did. Or how incredible would it be if we taught people to approach God personally themselves, even those who haven't come to faith yet? I'm so sometimes tripped up by what conversion looks like or what accepting Jesus looks like that I forget that sometimes inviting someone into a relationship with Jesus is as easy as asking them to come and do life alongside you. Because then they see the habits that have been formed in your life because of God and Jesus. And then they start to adopt some of that and they see the truth of who God is. Two, do not fear the circumstances you find yourself in. Be calm and listen. God knows the plan and he's gonna show you if you're calm and you listen. Three, expect God to show up. Leave room for him to show up in the way that he shows up instead of trying to control what that looks like. I think there's a lot of times when we all do this where we talk and we say, God doesn't do that. Stop saying that. Are you God? Do you get to make that decision of how God shows up? That's incredible. We, we, we've shut the doors on so many possibilities. We've shut the doors on hailstorms that could have happened because we believe that God would never show up that way. Expect God to show up. This is hard for me because I always want to know what will happen and I want it to happen my way, but you know what? God already knows the outcomes and the outcome he has, like we talked about earlier, is just so much more incredible than what we plan. Four, join in. When you see God moving and at work, enjoy it. Be a part of it. Share it for his glory, right? It's not ours. We don't care if it's our sword that's destroying the Israelite. Or not the Israelite, but the Gibeon. Uh, not the Gibeon, but the... Sorry, guys. I've said a lot today. We, uh, <laughs> you know, we're not the ones holding the sword attacking Canaan, right? It's God who's done all that work. Like, it's his glory, not ours. We don't care about who gets credit. We just get to be a part of the ride, like Joshua. So pray with me this morning. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would help us to be like you. We realize that you have given us areas of influence with people around us. Help us not to see them as burdens, but help us to see them as people who you dearly love and want to set free. Teach us to teach others how to have access to you. Keep us calm and help us to hear your voice. Teach us to see you and help us to feel empowered to join you. Lastly, teach us to pray. In Jesus' name, amen.